0: head to my website simonmundy.com or amazon waterstone smiths places like that to get your copy
1: there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plushcare plushcare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe fda approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and zepbound for those who qualify
0: Hello and welcome to the Life Lessons Podcast with me, Simon Mundy. This podcast has a simple mission, to have discussions that reveal something important about life and how best to live it. My guests range from the biggest sporting names on the planet through to neuroscientists, philosophers, psychologists, and world-renowned thinkers. We talk about things like how to skillfully relate to uncomfortable thoughts and feelings, the power of acceptance and psychological flexibility, how to get your circadian rhythms in sync to feel your best right through to the nature of reality. These conversations and the bite-sized episodes have the power to change your life. Today I'm speaking to Connie Huck, who's a TV and radio presenter, a screenwriter and a children's author who holds the record for being the longest serving female presenter of the iconic British children's TV programme Blue Peter, which she hosted for over a decade and which she says made her a better person. I was fortunate enough to be booked to give a talk at an event that Connie was hosting and we got chatting And I really resonated with her view of life, happiness and what's really important. The essence of what she believes is that our continual striving for more and bigger and better is making us less happy. Because if you could be happy with what you already have, then you're already winning. Now, Connie comes out with a cracking line during our chat, which is there's a lot to be said for being mediocre. As she points out, we're always striving for the top, but sometimes it's better to embrace being in the middle for the reasons she outlines. Now, Connie recognised her good fortune from her time working on Blue Peter, and she's adopted something of an anti-mindless consumerist mindset that somewhat rubbed off on her husband, the Black Mirror creator, Charlie Brooker. It was an absolute pleasure chatting to Connie, and I hope you enjoy our conversation. Connie Huck, how are you?
2: I'm very well, thank you. I'm good.
0: It's lovely to have you on. So just to set the scene a bit, you and I met at a corporate event, actually, recently. Mm. You were hosting. I was waffling. We had a bit of a chat and Mm. I loved your take on things, your outlook. Um, It really tied in with some of the themes that have increasingly come up on this podcast. And so Mm. a few things that we might touch on, you know, instant gratification, fame, happiness, consumerism, to name just a few but listen I've, we've got to go back a little bit connie just to yeah. start so you trained at the national youth music theater
2: i wouldn't did- say trained <laughs> but so i was at my local drama group at the local theater which is called crestus theater because i live in ealing and then actually my sister did hear about these auditions for the national youth music theater which is it sounds all stage schooly and stuff but it's just something you do in your school holidays and so I auditioned for a production that they were doing and yeah, was in a play with Jude Law. So actually. I hear. He it. Yeah. Did did uh, you
0: want to go on and be an actor?
2: I think at the time I thought, yeah, acting would be fun. I quite like that performance thing, yeah.
0: It's interesting that your sister put you forward for it though. So she obviously noted that you liked to for well, whatever you were the more extrovert.
2: No, so what it was is this is my elder sister, not my MP sister. My eldest sister said that I should do it because she was too old to do it. She's nine years older than me. Right. So she probably would have, might have wanted to do it as well. Because we're all a bit extrovert, <laughs> I think, in our family. Right. But I was within the age range that right. they have at the National Music Theatre. So hence I did the auditions. Okay,
0: and so she was like living the dream through you, as it were.
2: Vicariously. Then,
0: vicariously. Right, but then you didn't do that. Now we're going to skip along, Connie. So obviously you didn't go on to be an actor. And before we get into your Blue Peter well, days- Well. okay, go on, stop me, correct <laughs> in me. In
2: those days, if you were Asian and you wanted to be an actress, mm-hmm. you literally had to wait till EastEnders had an Asian family where you'd be the teenage daughter that got locked in their bedroom by their strict dad, or just be unemployed. (laughs) I mean, there weren't many parts.
0: So that was a choice born of the circumstances then. So obviously- really, I just sort of
2: go with the flow. I mean, I don't think I thought, I'm going to be in the National Music Division, I'm going to be an actress. (laughs) I think you just see what comes your way. Like, If it happens, it happens. If it doesn't-
0: But you were conscious that there weren't many opportunities for Asian people
2: well so basically having been in that national youth music theater thing i can't even remember the timeline. that's how old i am but this agent was like hey you could be on my books and i think i was an extra in 2.4 children and that's about the beginning and the end of (laughs) the parts that came my way um so yeah i was aware of it from that perspective i guess
0: Okay, you're not going to
2: be in a period drama, especially back then. Maybe Bridgerton now, but back then, not
0: so. so, okay, so you were sort of conscious of it. Right. Before the Blue Peter days, you studied Mm. economics at Cambridge. Now, a friend of mine was brutalised by the intellectual demands of going to, to Cambridge. The standard required is that much higher. So I went to Leeds. That was a Mm. walk in the park. Was it brutal for you in terms of the intellectual requirements?
2: So I did economics, having never done economics before. And literally, I had maths, physics and chemistry A-levels. But I had already decided, because I'd already started presenting at that point.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: I decided that telly is quite a fun thing to do, but I need to have a degree
0: so might as well get a good one just in one. case
2: it doesn't pan out. <laughs> no so basically i was gonna be an engineer i was gonna do all science oh, really? stuff but i couldn't uh, then go and do. i just wanted a degree to have a degree
0: yeah so
2: i was like what can i do with my a levels and it was either economics or law with my a levels more or less or sciencey stuff because i had science a levels so i picked economics my sister had just done law which is lots of learning things. I thought, I'll just give this economics thing a go. So it's not because I have a love of the economy or anything <laughs> like that. It was just literally by chance. And a third of my final work was actually from my dissertation, which was socioeconomics, which was the economics of youth culture, which is sort of much there more fun. So,
0: So youth, obviously, whether it be the books mm. that you've written more recently, then obviously, you mm. know, your record-breaking stint on Blue Peter. And you said that you go with the flow, see how the cards fall, as it were. So was that planned, or did the stars align for you there?
2: Um, so the job on Blue Peter, so remember I said that I had done a bit of presenting before uni? Yeah. So the, I had done some presenting on a pop music show that was on cable and satellite, but the executive producer of that So it's really good. In sixth form, I was, like, doing A-levels and then interviewing Take That and e (laughs) 17 It was really a bit surreal and fun as well. So the executive producer of that then became the head of children's programming at Channel 5, which is a brand-new channel that was happening. So after I came out of uni, he gave me a job. Because I'd already worked with him, but she'll do. She's all right. Um, <laughs> so once you've sort of got a bit of presenting under your, your belt, it's easy to get like a show reel. So I sent my show reel to Blue Peter because I knew they were looking. But they say that they saw me on Channel Five and called me in for an a- audition. So oh, yeah. I don't know which happened. Who knows? This was many years well, ago, decades okay. ago. So I remember getting the job on Blue Peter, and then it was like first British. asian presenter and all of this all over the shop and part of you does think hang on but i can present as well yeah and so it's really weird because you it's kind of like you're a bit conflicted in that you kind of want to just be like everyone else but then you are sort of supposed to be this role model you know and even being on blue peter you're a role model for young people so you're a role model for anyone that sort of fits i guess your type so as it is, you're a role model anyway. But then if you're Asian, maybe you're a role model for Asians. And if you're an ethnic minority, maybe you're a role model for ethnic minorities. And if you're Muslim, you're a role model for Muslims and all of this stuff. And I remember watching the O.J. Simpson documentary and sort of cringing because there's this bit about how he was sort of like just, you know, pretended to be white like everyone else or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of like, oh, I kind of see what happened there. Sort of, because you do just want to fit in and you want to be accepted like everyone else on the same terms. But then actually, I think you get uh, not old, necessarily older and wiser, or, but you get your feet under the table and you realise actually it's really important because you have to see it to be it. And actually, you need to be proud of who you actually are than sort of trying to pretend or trying to be someone else. Mm. Because otherwise you're just feeding into the prejudice. Yeah. Yes. Sir. Be proud of it. Of
0: course. Now, Mm -hmm. I've heard you say Mm. that you've noticed, and I don't know if this stems back to when you were on Blue Peter, but since, Mm. you know, a lot of young people saying, I just want to be famous. So is this something you've noticed more of, or were you aware of that attitude, you know, during your Blue Peter days?
2: I think what it was is you often are filming with children Mm. and you often have children coming into the studio. And so, you know, you chat with kids and often you say, what do you want to do when you grow up? And lots of young people say, I want to be famous. And then you ask them like, oh, yeah, what do you want to be famous for? And they're not sure. They just want to be famous. So it's not like I want to be famous to be a footballer or to be a dancer or to be a TV presenter. They just want to be famous per se. It's like I want to be rich, isn't it? It's like I want to be that desirable thing because it's desirable and everyone likes that thing you're not sure why there's these certain things that are what you could term as it things and they are all they sort of closely correlate but it's like the desirable things to be in our particular society you know if you ask people what would you want like you so, say to be, maybe to be famous uh, to be rich to be good looking to be powerful you know to have the bigger car the nicer house mm. that all of these sort of things which you could say are quite superficial mm. but they kind of get you kudos because then people like you for those things and they kind of make you feel happy because you get these dopamine hits maybe because people like you for those things and so you desire them but whether the happiness is long-lived or whether then you just want your next dopamine hit is a different subject almost. So, of course, you're going to be happy to have nice things or whatever, but you can still be miserable with the nice things as well. But yeah. the true happiness, I believe, comes through having good friends and good people around you and really the ultimate scale of happiness is everybody, no matter how rich you are or whatever, it really it can help to be comfortable, definitely, but you're still going to be really sad if someone you love dies and you're still going to be really happy if someone you love reciprocates that love and that's no different and mm. that's the true scale and all these little sort of dopamine hits along the way they can bring sadness in between because you want your next fix all the time like a drug
0: yeah what's the buddhism quote the root of all suffering is desire and yes you know, and and so i mean well, you what said... it is Simon. yeah go on hit Sorry. me up. no Just
2: no go for is it. it so you're right you know Well, all these things can bring you happiness, but the less you need to be happier, the more you're winning. Because actually, if you keep your standards a bit lower and you're happy, then actually, you know, more fool the person that's always setting their standards so high to be happy. And there's always just narrowly missing out or wants the next thing. And that's the secret, because all we want in life is happiness. So the less you need to achieve that, the really the better and the more you're winning Because you could be insanely rich and miserable and actually the person that's insanely happy and not necessarily rich is in a better position.
0: Totally agree. Right. A couple of things that I just want to throw in. You said people often think, let's say they want the money, the power the fame, the car, whatever it may be. Mm. But but as you've alluded to, really, all people want is to be happy. So the idea then, when it comes to, for example, the children or young people saying, mm. I just want to be famous, what it's almost like, okay, because fame will make me happy. It
2: will um, make me happy and rich and, yeah.
0: I spoke mm. to my dad about this and he was mm. like, I'm not sure I agree. Some people want power, some people want Mm. xyz but i'm like yeah but if they knew that that was going to make them miserable they wouldn't want it so ultimately Mm. everything is about being happy you get power to be happy yeah so on the fame thing so obviously you've been well known for your whole adult life Mm. your husband's obviously mega successful too Mm. charlie brooker so Mm. you've both been in there so having had so much experience of that what would you say to those young people about the reality of fame compared to the perception of fame
2: well, I mean, it depends on your personality type. Because some people just want to be revered, don't they? Or, yeah. you know, it depends. If you've got a really big ego, I guess, then you're just going to feed off that fame thing, essentially. Whereas, I don't know, some people might find bits of it kind of hassly. It's It so depends on the personality type. But all of these things, the fame, the money, the, all these things we're saying, it's all great and good within a certain bound, essentially. But it's when we get to the point where nothing is enough. And actually, we're such a progressive society now that there's just so much on offer, and we just seem to want more and more and more. And, you know, when I was growing up, there were hardly any millionaires, and now there's, like, billionaires. Mm -hmm. And there will be probably trillionaires, because you can always get richer and richer and richer, and things can grow but you can never get poorer than having nothing Mm. and the problem is the inequality Mm. it's sort of the disparity between one end and the other end it leads to real judgment and snobbery culture and it means that you you know we're all growing further apart essentially you need to find your sort of niche or where you are on the spectrum Mm. and actually is it good to have this ever-increasing spectrum isn't it better to sort of that we're all we can reach out and hold hands essentially rather than we can't reach
0: this attitude or this outlook that you have is this something that you've always had or has it developed in you and i just want to add in here like for example i've heard you talk about when you moved house i think you just had your first child with charlie and you had a load of stuff that you left in your mum's house And it basically stayed there for a couple of years. And a couple of years later, you're like, I didn't miss the stuff at all. And that sounded like a fairly uh, impactful period in terms of your outlook. So yeah, just in terms of developing this way of looking at society in the world, Mm. how's it sort of grown in you?
2: Well, I think, you know, so my parents came over in the sixties and they're obviously from a really poor country, like Bangladesh is really densely populated there's a lot of poverty it's low-lying it's going to be one of the first to get hit by climate change you know Mm. when the water level rises and they always like lots of immigrant parents sort of you know wanted us to eat what's on our plate you know take less on your plate and then eat it then take more but don't you know Mm. be putting food in the bin Yeah. Yeah, yeah and don't waste you know anything because actually the you know, if you value everything, then you're not sort of taking it for granted. You're not being frivolous and blah blah blah. And then, you know, obviously, I think all of us, our parents say to me, "Oh yeah, shut up, whatever." <laughs> oh, I hope I'm not like them, or you know what? You just <laughs> yeah. think. Oh. What a yeah. killjoy. <laughs> Any discipline that they put upon yeah, you. Course. I even remember them watching the news and just thinking, I will never be like you. I will never be interested in the news. <laughs> yeah. How boring. Anyway, and then you go up and, you know, you, you're looking for acceptance among your peers and you want your independence. And so, you know, you go through that phase of rebellion or whatever. And so, yes, you know, I was into sort of fashion and... You know much more superficial things than maybe now mm. when i was sort of growing up during that period and then weirdly when i did get the job on blue peter then you start doing this filming where you know i did filming for appeals in like i don't know for instance war-torn mm. angola where i had to you know and that's the thing about blue peter you're not sort of like in the world of being famous and telly and tv presenting everything is probably five star hotels for If you're in grown up telly and first class flights everywhere and sort of all pampering or whatever, Blue Peter, I kind of think of it like the university, or maybe children's telly in general, the university of telly, in that you're sort of, I don't know, learning your skill and it's full of young people, all of the production team. You know, we'd turn up to places like Buckingham Palace and it would literally look like the. yts (laughs) use scheme had turned up you know i think they were expecting sort of professional suited and booted people but essentially i had to do this filming in in angola with the red cross uh, for the appeal and then we had to stay in the red cross house and you know often you'll be roughing it or camping or Mm. whatever and you know i filmed in villages where people had no currency they're so poor everything was barter We'd pay them and they'd like argue, you know, not in money, but in, I don't know, cooking oil and rice, because they didn't have money because they're so poor. And they'd be arguing over the plastic bag that we bought in. And they'd be wanting your empty water bottle, all of that sort of stuff, you Mm. know. And then you come back to the UK and, you know, there's a helpline for people having withdrawal symptoms from Big Brother. That actually was a thing that year. Or people are spending a few quid on wrapping paper to just rip off a present or a guy was jumping off a building in King's Cross and they'd cordoned it all off and the driver of the because I was going in a work cab to some work or whatever and he was like if this was where I'd come from he's from Nigeria they'd just let him jump but instead here you know there's people cordoning off the streets and yeah. ambulances and fire brigade, thousands of pounds on like no no don't jump don't do it and it's like, we're so lucky. We are yeah. so lucky. And it's easy. And it sounds so worthy when I'm saying it. And I'm sort of, it's almost like people might be thinking, oh, you know, I like I thought to my own parents. <laughs> yeah. um, but, you know, the more the disparity and the inequality comes, the more it's like another planet when yeah. you go to the village in Africa. You know, and the weird thing is then, you know, they have stuff like mobile phones, maybe, you know, the richer people or the shopkeeper or whatever but then you know then the poorer people won't have access to clean water it's a, just a bit of a mental thing and there's so much wealth there is enough to sort of go around and still live with rich people and poor people and a good life and just let's you know the poor people could maybe not be asked for. I don't yeah. know you know yeah
0: yeah so coming back to the uk like after those experiences or whatever it just made me think about what you said about expectation and if you lower Mm. your expectations and you don't seek so much then you um are not going to be as dissatisfied so do you have a sense here that because of the material comforts and all the things that we are used to growing up in this country does that bring with itself a certain level of innate dissatisfaction with it
2: The thing about, say, really consumer culture, and I'm not saying ours is the most consumer culture, but it's getting, we're
0: in the top half.
2: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Is that it's all about making you miserable about what you don't have. So of course you're going to be happy when you have it, but really, if you're just happy about what you do have, then like I say, you're sort of winning. You need to be miserable about what you don't have to get that happiness. For when you do have it, which is what I was sort of saying about it's like a drug. You get the iPhone 1000, you're happy, you get that dopamine hit, but then you want the 2000 and 3000, the 4000. Where does it stop? And you're never going to be the richest or the best looking or the most powerful. And if you are, there's only one way to go, which is down. So the minute you move, I don't know, to the bigger house, whatever, then your neighbours will have the bigger house as well. And so, but then that one's got the, I don't know, the underfloor heating or whatever it is yeah i don't know and it just so the comparison
0: just keeps shifting up a notch basically yeah
2: and 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 it can like i said can keep shifting up if you get more money then it's like oh we've paid our mortgage off now and we have the nice holidays let's get a second home and then oh we've got the second home now we don't have a boat next door we've got a boat or whatever because you're it's all about your peers so if i came to your house simon and i had a 24 karat gold dress (laughs) or whatever, turn to, I'm like, this is my new top, it's 24 Garrett Gold. You'd go, that's a bit much, you'd think that's a bit much, because in our society, that is a bit much. And it's all about what we think is a bit much. So in Sweden, they have this thing called Lagom, which is just the right amount. And that was very fashionable, because that was very fashionable. People were doing that. And I went round to a friend's house with another friend, and the person whose house it was said to my other friend, like, that's a nice top. And she was like, this is five years old from such and such. And I was like, I could top Trump this. This is, you know, this (laughs) one is 10 years old from wherever. I don't know. But there is a world in which, because you're just trying to fit in and you want to please your peers, in which maybe you're top Trumping, but the other way. Or instead of a Sunday Times rich list, there's a Sunday Times give back list because you don't take it with you when you go all those millions so maybe they can be showing off about how much they intend to leave to good causes and they'll still get the uh, you know the ego inflation from being at the top of the people giving the money back or from being revered for doing that but it's just what we sort of judge on and what we revere on and what we aspire to because everyone essentially is trying to fit in they want to be accepted
0: so you're aware of that this propensity that we all have to fit in to and be liked to be liked to get approval but once you're aware of that I do get the sense that you can notice it and let go of it a bit and I get the sense you've done that to some degree at least
2: what do you mean by notice it and let go of it
0: well okay so if we come back to like the whole idea of I want to be famous okay well why do you want to be famous i don't know i just want to be famous and they don't even know they want to be famous because ultimately they will make them happy but they're unaware of that it's actually the happiness they seek not the fame now i would say as well there's an unawareness there there's an unconsciousness there whereas if you can bring awareness to that okay i want to be famous because i think it'll make me happy but actually it probably won't it's not Mm. going to fill a void inside Mm. then you can perhaps lessen your search for that for example but
2: it might make you happy so it's not well i don't
0: i don't know if it would though because you were talking about people with egos high big egos right Mm. that so they might get the ego pump up but that's not sustainable what you really want is a kind of causeless happiness no
2: yeah no you're uh absolutely right so they might be happy enough being famous But there might be bits of miserable stuff as well that comes with it um, when they could have been happy not being famous and then they wouldn't have that miserable stuff.
0: Well, yeah, that's that's exactly that's kind of what I'm getting at. right? So it's like if you're aware that people just want to fit in, you're aware of the propensity for wanting to fit in that most of us have and actually realise that. But that doesn't necessarily make you happy if you're just spending your whole time mm. course adjusting to fit in. Mm-hmm. Then you can let go of that need to fit in a little bit. I just think bringing awareness to something can make it have less power over you. Is essentially yes. What I'm no,
2: that's at. right. Yeah, absolutely.
0: And and so I get that sense with you. So for example, you said that before you're into your fashion or whatever else, and I read that you know you haven't bought new clothes in ten years.
2: Yeah, because the thing is, is. the richer you get as well, the more you could just get a stylist that will make me fashionable. I could get an interior designer that will make my house look nice. You can almost buy the good taste. You're buying the good taste, but actually a lot of the happiness comes from the authentic stuff of doing it for yourself. So happiness comes from helping each other, not helping yourself essentially.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, And you know, you get happiness from being, I don't know, you know satisfaction i guess from doing things a bit for yourself as opposed to outsourcing everything as well because the more you outsource everything it sort of all turns a bit bland you're almost numb you need your next hit you know my house is already perfect i don't need to do that anymore you know this is i know i'll get the yacht now or whatever and actually the problem is really so you know what you were saying about you know the fame might not bring you the happiness it might bring you the happiness it might not bring you the happiness but i think on the in the biggest scale the more that people are seeking that stuff mm-hmm. the more at one end it's spreading out at the top end and so the more inequality comes about, and then the more unhappiness there is so it almost weirdly causes unhappiness for people that are not, not- famous almost because yeah i know i know what you mean yeah because it's there's like, that
0: comparison isn't there and then you're like putting them on pedestals and all that yeah kind
2: of, stuff. Kind of an honor to be like that and it's with everything it's like i don't know if, if your judgment you know if you i don't know if you want to have i don't know i want everything to be i want everything tesco finest not tesco value or whatever yeah. i'm just giving yeah. an example that means that i don't know when you go to someone's house and they've got tesco value you're sort of judging them or you're thinking that they've only got Tesco value catcher. I mean, yeah. it's a weird example. Yeah. And so if everyone sort of that can gets Tesco finest, then the people with the Tesco value might feel like, oh, I can't have that person around because they'll judge me on my Tesco yeah, yeah, value. Yeah. You know. So if people at the top end are sort of too far out of reach, essentially,
1: mm.
2: and getting further and further out of reach, but it's not even the top end, I'm talking about Tesco value. So it's happening, on little levels within, you know, mm. because the spectrum is so large that you know, then the people with the with the I don't know, Fortnum and Mason ketchup will be like, oh, they've only got Tesco Finest. Do <laughs> you see what I mean? Yeah, yeah, so yeah. because the spread is just getting ridiculous. Yeah. Because for years and years and years of millions of years, we were just hunter gatherers. You know, not much change happened, and then there were settlements or whatever and then suddenly we could farm food and mass produce and sell and then we learned how to harness energy and convert it so there was steam travel and then you know we've got the (laughs) internet or whatever and so as things progress every new thing leads to 10 more new things which leads to 10 more new things so that now the rate of change is just so quick it's like you know it wouldn't be that surprising if when our kids Grow up, I don't know, you can just choose your own face from a catalogue, you know, whereas that would have seemed so mental.
0: This sounds like a Black Mirror episode, but and (laughs) which brings me to you described yourself as analogue and Charlie as like digital. And you're saying, okay, in X years, we might be in a place where you can choose your face out of a Mm. catalogue. But equally, we could be in a place where people embrace more the analogue way that that you have increasingly embraced, where actually people start to realize, well, this stuff isn't Mm. making me happy, power or whatever it may be. And actually it is come back to that, you know, relationships being okay with just being basically.
2: Yeah, and maybe COVID did that to some extent because there were loads of people that were like, oh my God, I just loved it. I just loved Mm. the breaks going on. The problem is, is that while there's money to be made from selling things, It's hard for you to have that epiphany unless something drastic happens, maybe climate change will be that drastic thing, because people are going to want to go on making that money and being famous, being powerful and being rich and being all of those things. So it's hard. Because there's so much being flung at us. There's so much on offer to stop and take stock to find out that actually I don't need that stuff to be happy. You you need to have all your stuff in your mum's house to realize, actually, I didn't know that. But (laughs) if I had, yeah, I didn't know I didn't need all that stuff. What is that stuff? What are all my worldly possessions that are so important that I can't even remember? But, you know, without having had to have that drastic thing. And that was only because we couldn't move into a place that we were going to move into so we were in charlie's tiny place uh, because my place uh,
0: just yeah I, i've heard the bookshelf banged against the bed
2: yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's the thing and so you know often it's because you have to you know because we had to we locked down but we wouldn't ever do that otherwise because yeah. we had to we didn't drive in our cars we didn't take plane flights all of that stuff because it was enforced upon us and then it can lead to changes oh well what might why don't we do flexible working hours and you don't have to come yeah. into the office every day and blah 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 that wouldn't have happened without having to have gone through that
1: there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care
0: COVID has shown how quickly things can change. I'm much more of a homebody than I used to be. I know that you are. You describe yourself uh, as a homebody. I always
2: used to be. (laughs) Has
0: that been ramped up even more by the last few years?
2: I mean, what it has done is I used to have to go in for things. And I would say, oh, really, can't we just do it on the phone? I don't understand yeah. why we have to yeah, be face-to-face. Yeah. You know, I'm bound by drop off and pick up as well, yeah, because I'm a control freak and I want to do all my own mumming <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. But the point is, is now then people are like, yeah, we can do that as a Zoom. Yeah. And I used to always, and like, you know, I was told, oh, that's not professional. You need to go in and have a yeah. face-to-face. Yeah. And now it's like, yes.
0: Listen, I'm, I'm conscious, slightly conscious of time, but so talk to me a little bit then about the make and mend approach then, because. For example, as I mentioned to you, I've got an old pair of Levi's. I put my foot through the knee recently mm. and I was thinking, okay, I'm down to two pairs of jeans. I should probably get a new pair, right? And then just reading a little bit around ahead of our chat, and it made me think, God, no, sod that. I would like to see mm. if I can hang on to those things. I'm, I'm waffling now, but no, just- a... I
2: get what you're saying. So basically <clears throat> you might need a new pair of jeans to be your smart. <laughs> if you don't have a smart pair I've of jeans- I've got two pairs of smart-ish. Smart. Okay. So then, you know, you could throw that away or you could just put either like a patch inside of just a denim, right. essentially. So that it still looks like a ripped jean, more yeah. or less, but okay. it, your knee isn't gaping. Out. I mean, I don't know what the actual thing is. If it's not that rippy, you could even stitch it up, but it will probably rip yeah, again bit, when you bend yeah. your knee or whatever but the point is if you would you know still wear them and they're still comfortable they're probably they're, oh, like they they were bought i'm to quite be, attached to them yeah. that's the thing so they're bought for your cut right yeah they're bought for your body shape you bought them because you loved them and actually there's just one line there it's like this you know it's kind of tailored to you those jeans and then if they're in landfill they're just worthless once you've been them they're just nothing But actually, if you would wear them, then actually you've got a whole extra pair of jeans now. (laughs) And maybe it's like you wear them for when, I don't know, you're just going to the park with your kids or whatever, you know, not to the meeting where you're wearing the smart jeans or whatever. But the point is they serve a purpose. And it might mean that later down the line, you don't don't go, I need a pair of sort of Mm. just wearing to the park jeans or whatever. It's kind of having that mentality that actually if the cut is good and this, you know, the shade of denim yeah. or whatever was the one you know you know and it, there you've sort of lowered your stance a bit and then if someone else sees you with those jeans and then thinks oh you know well he's not snobby against that I can wear my ripped jeans or you know maybe ripped jeans isn't the right thing but like I don't know if you know got what you mean mended a, whatever yeah sort of like and not even yeah mended, or if like that jumper that's a bit bobbly yeah if you wear it and you're owning it then other people might think, actually, I'm going to wear mine. You know, it needs to yes. almost be like this, those celeb, rich, powerful people, if they start doing it. So a good example is feminism. When I was growing up, was just seen as a, Ugh, those dungaree wearing, bra burning, <laughs> feminist such doogers. And then the minute it's rebranded to sort of be a bit cool then like, yeah, feminism is cool. And that's the thing you have to go through that owning it and just being proud of it and not being embarrassed. Like me not being embarrassed about, you know, my parents, I don't know, wearing a sari and eating with their hands when all the other kids have parents in jeans or whatever. Once you've gone through that and come out the other end, actually other people might not do that. It's about that thing of sort of being proud of what you have and what you are and who you are. Which is kind of such a buzz thing on some levels, but then often it's lip service because brands know that you're supposed to do that thing. But then there might be hypocrisy in other areas, if that makes sense. So people know, hey, I'm supposed to be eco-conscious and all of that stuff. And hey, I'm going to get my electric car and do my recycling. But then they... might still go oh but i'm not wearing those jeans but that's because no one else is but then once everyone else does then they will essentially
0: yeah that's interesting i've never i've never sort of thought about that i wonder to what degree that was a bit of conditioning then with me thinking about getting rid of the jeans and And, you you know
2: you're i'm i do it we all do it i'm like oh gosh that person's coming over to my house I better make sure that I don't know. I give them the mug with the i just yeah. without yeah, the no, chip in right. or whatever. I'm just thinking yeah, of, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's right. not really a good example. It is a good a example because I've got, got a lot of chips. Lip, maybe I've got a lot but, of yeah, chips. But yeah, a chip that isn't a dangerous <sighs> chip, for instance, or whatever it is. You know, uh, I should really i don't know hoover the whole house or whatever or yeah. make sure there's no toys on show yeah, yeah but yeah, actually yeah. if there's toys on show then they won't feel that no. they have to do that when i go to their house or whatever yeah. and then we go it's okay it to have possessions you know we don't all have to be in this clinical house mm. which looks like it's from a catalog and actually possessions give personality and it's that thing i was saying of something that's nice to, it's fun to have a bit of creativity and think well, yeah you know, actually that looks cool that child's tricycle in the middle of my living room or whatever i don't know no but,
0: but I, I think this is i think this is great so it's bringing a bit of awareness to it relaxing and then who knows position. it could all spread and we can all just chill out a little bit and stop being quiet
2: well, it's that thing of we then change our barometer so what i said to you of the wearing the gold carrot top yeah actually the gold carrot top you know, the 24 gold character might be acceptable in some circles. I don't know, maybe in Saudi yeah. Arabia or yeah. wherever, where culturally their barometer is really different in that clique of people, whatever. Mm. But I'm just saying, we, there's so much spread in general now. There's a million different sort of niches and cliques and what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. And like I say, it needs to be a bit more uniform. Yeah, because otherwise you're just always sort of thinking oh well they judge me for this or that or the other yes. I and mean, I'm quite a people pleaser person <laughs> um, so I kind of I don't know, one sort of, I was told once I did a psychometric test and I want harmony within the group and everyone to get on and, you know, all of this stuff. And I, you know, I have been known to go on whole nights out, you know, I said I'm a homebody and I don't want to just because I didn't want to offend the other person, you know, and actually I'd rather just chat to them on the phone or meet up with the, yeah. you know, come sit on my sofa and, you know, rather you know, let's cut, you know, forget. Have you got that better centrist. at stopping doing that then? I'm trying yeah I think so I think as you get older you're more confident in your own yeah. skin and so then you go okay no I don't mind that those gray hairs are showing yeah. if that's someone else's problem if they think yeah, that absolutely. I'm scraggy because of those <laughs> gray hairs showing I I often say like I'd rather people like me for me than yeah. the clothes I wear the house I have the how trendy I am or whatever you yeah. know and actually then you know they're genuine mm-hmm. people that your friends yeah. are really genuine so.
0: absolutely do you know what? very wise words right last couple of things then connie mm. this outlook that you have right so for example uh, i meant you mentioned I mean, something it's
2: to- not like an outlook. i don't no. want to preach to people no i know you okay but it's just my own what i do <laughs> exactly
0: right we that well we're going to label it as that just for the purposes of the, this next question so when i met yes. you you mentioned obviously so charlie sold his production company and made a bit right this attitude, then, well, it
2: wasn't of not his. So sorry, <laughs> I'm so pedantic. So God. his company was owned by Endemol, which is another oh, right. company. Oh right, yeah, it's End... for God, Yeah, it okay. So then, and, uh, so then it got sold to Netflix. Right.
0: Sort of okay. But anyway, there, so mm. there's a few, yeah. there's a few pennies rubbing around, right? Okay. So yes. To what degree is your anti-consumerist, to some degree, yeah. approach rubbed off on Charlie? Have you had to rein him back in a little bit?
2: I mean, he has got an Amazon habit, so maybe my whole thing is just to compensate for him. I don't know. Like, boxes arrive every... I know loads of people that say their husbands have an Amazon habit, and there's yeah. loads of... Uh,
0: my wife has one, just to even Yeah, loads
2: it. of wives that have it, and, you know, just in the interests of being uh, egalitarian, <laughs> everyone, not just husbands and wives, single people, whoever, lots of people have an Amazon habit.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
2: Um, and... He would do stuff like, which I think I've drummed out of, you know, literally just not even thinking because he's thinking about other things, have a carrier bag. This is you know, pre-bags for life, I guess. Um, But we'll come on to bags for life in a minute. And then he'd literally <laughs> just put it in the bin, not even in the recycling. And i oh, know like, that carrier God. bag could be reused. And, you know, this is all what I've trained him out of that. Yeah. But then he'd just get into this thing where he'd go to the shop and buy a bag for life. And I was like... The whole point of a bag for life is you reuse it, not that you suddenly have a bag for life cupboard (laughs) instead of a carrier bag cupboard. So literally I use those sort of Hessian bags for life. I use them as storage boxes and things, you know, because I'm like, I am repurposing this so it will be used forever. And, you know, this will be my new filing system, bags for life, instead of having to buy box files or whatever it is, you know. So I do, yeah, I like everything to be used and valued.
0: Is he becoming more that way inclined then? You've got him on the plastic bags. Uh, so I'm probably less broadly?
2: than I would be if I wasn't with him. And he's probably more than he would be if he wasn't with me. Cause I guess you will reach each other in the middle. Uh, yeah. Um, you know, so, you know, some things I do to that. I wouldn't if I was, you know, if he wasn't in the mix because it makes him happy.
0: Nice. Which leads me to my final question then, Connie. Mm. And we've sort of touched on happiness and how it's the ultimate aim of everyone, Girl. really. And yeah. and you've already touched on it briefly, but can you just elaborate a bit more? So you're aware of fame, you're aware of a bit of money, you're aware of a bit of recognition, blah, blah, blah. If you had to say, what about a life well-lived and where happiness is really found and and where you find your joy and where you would encourage, for example, young people who I know with your books and everything like that, you really try and reach... What would be the thing that you would say?
2: I do think surrounding yourself with people that are just a laugh and that have your mentality, because mm. obviously, like I say, there's so many mindsets, and I don't want to preach to other people, but that is just pure fun. Doing anything, if I'm with someone that's a laugh and doing it, it's I mean, it sounds better. Even a work thing like. You know, if you're doing a podcast, for instance, you're doing someone that's fun yeah. and a laugh, then it's so much better than doing it with someone that you're not on the wavelength of, yeah. if you see what I mean.
0: A hundred percent.
2: Because then it becomes a bit of a chore. Yeah. And I think it's just that thing of surrounding yourself with people that make you happy. Yeah. And, you know, that isn't a monetary thing at all. You don't no. need to have any money to do that. And honestly, it, it really is the best thing. To different people, the people that they surround themselves with, with will be different types but for me it's the people on my wavelength and so once you've just yeah once you've got that you know your friends your partner whatever then it's just good yeah
0: so orienteering without preaching but still i like this message orienteering away from stuff and ego dopamine hits to authentic connections and relationships
2: yeah definitely and for me, that's just fun people that, yeah, just make me happy and make me laugh, but also have the same values as me, Yeah, I think, because I think it's important. Uh, and it's important as well, you know, not to have carbon copies of yourself either, because you want to have conversations that make you think and see the other side of the equation. Of course, yeah, you know, which comes down to echo
0: chambers and all that jazz.
2: Yeah, exactly. Everything has two sides. And, it's, and that's where empathy comes in. You know, yeah. the more empathy we can have, the more we can get our kids having lots of empathy when they're young. The years of naught to seven, if we just bring them all up with liberal amounts of empathy and not being superficial and not, you know, thinking that they want more and more and more and being greedy and spoiled, then the world is going to be a bright place because wherever they go, they're going to flipping spread that empathy because... Even if they're the CEO of a FTSE 100 company, they won't increase the fat cat salaries. They'll sort of want good working conditions for all. Or if they're, I don't yeah. know, the president of the USA, hey, they want healthcare. You know, no matter what you do, whether it's stacking shelves in a supermarket, being a bin man, being a librarian, a teacher, being a CEO of a big, powerful company, if you are altruistic and you want good, if we all want that, then that will fix climate change. It will fix everything. Yeah. Poverty, inequality, just everything
0: yeah the values of altruism and empathy and then everything else will fall into place to some degree
2: yeah i think so the only bad things happening are happening because we don't have enough of that there's not enough people that are selfless yeah definitely and you know i'm as guilty as the next person because like i say we're all sort of greedy (laughs) egos but the more we can actually bring the levels down like i say the yeah. more we can change the sort of grading on the scale the better
0: i would just add to that and bring it up just a bit of awareness to, to these patterns that the ego has i.e thinking that consuming power car whatever is mm. happiness when actually it's not necessarily true and you know you're always scaling yeah. up and, more and it's and more not
2: about it. e- either sort of going okay i'm gonna i'm not saying let's all live in a mud hut too. no it, it's all to do with where we're happy for the scale to lie and not making the scale too broad because yeah. that's when there's the inequality
0: what was that swedish word
2: lagom just the right amount
0: just the right amount okay yeah and I that's think's... what
2: we need the yeah. right amount
0: connie when we met i mentioned to you i'm writing a book and yes,
2: this book actually because i thought we i wanted to know okay more. so it, the thrust stuff we were chatting about you indeed. were like i covered that in my book yes yes, indeed. So carry on. yes so
0: so the thrust of it to some degree at least is that take sports people mm. a lot of people who win gold medals who rack up the most titles get labeled greatest in many cases not all but in many cases they may be driven by a sense of disquiet and reaching the top might end up actually leaving them feeling quite empty whereas other people who perhaps have gone through really difficult things or not received the recognition or even gone through incredibly traumatizing things like addiction or Mm. paralysis or i mean being sent to jail you know that ends up being a bit of a blessing so the, the thrust of it really is around that propensity as well to put people on pedestals. Let me give you an example. Yes. So yes. Tim Henman, right? Yes. So t- I'm a tennis nerd and uh, yeah. I, so yeah. I met Tim Henman before he had sort of cracked on the scene, but people yes. forget with Tim Henman that he was right the best British tennis player in like, yes. I don't know, 80 years, since Fred yes. Perry in the sort of 1930s reached four Wimbledon semifinals. And what used to really frustrate me was that, Everyone would jump on Tim Henman's back and be like, he's one of the great British losers, forgetting that he had raised the bar so much.
2: Yeah, it's Tim Henman syndrome in that. People think that unless you're the very top, it's not enough. But actually, he was the top. He was the best tennis player in the whole of the UK. Imagine how proud your parents are. But actually, oh, he's not top of the world. What next? He's not top of the the solar system or the galaxy or whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that manifests in many different ways. Um, I always say, there's a similar thing, actually, that the Star Wars film that had Anakin Skywalker in, that little kid must have been so... Phantom chuffed, of the Menace. Phantom oh, of the Menace. Yeah. When he got that job, his parents would be so proud. He'd beat all the other kids. You know, all the parents are so jealous of me now. You know, I mean, they might not have thought like that. But the point is, <laughs> he beat all the other kids off for this amazing job to be Anakin Skywalker in Phantom of the Menace. Mm. And, you know, maybe he got to the last two, for example, and the parents for ages, they didn't know, will it be him, will it not be him? Oh, you know, oh gosh, I really hope, I really Mm. hope it's my son, And and then it is. And then the film comes out and then, you know, Jar Jar Binks is in the film and the film gets a bit panned because people don't like Jar Jar Binks and the Jar Jar Binks character, he, you know, he never got over that. He went into depression, in fact, Anakin Skywalker, the actor as well. The flip side of the sort of adulation being put on the pedestal and being the top is the depression and turning to drugs and all of this stuff. And you know, who are the parents that are then laughing? You know, because actually all you want is for your kid to be happy. And sometimes we're always just striving for the top and we don't realise and you know, we have said it in this podcast, but actually it's sometimes better to be in the middle. Because actually, that's what I always say, I'd rather be in the middle. And in the middle, you can reach out below and hold hands, and you can reach out above and hold hands and bring people in together. And in the middle, you know, there's less to fall, you know, less far to fall, because you're not at the top mm-hmm. and you're not at the bottom, just, you know, thinking, uh, I wish that I could have a bit more. It's, it's just brilliant. You know, there's a lot to be said for mediocre yes and that's and, where you're truly happy aren't
0: um, yeah look, look i think that's absolutely right but there's a really interesting video done by alan de bottin on this he said that we're now a, a, a civilization of snobs not in the way of kings and queens and back in when royalty was fated in that way but more in terms of okay what do you do a normal life in which you have three meals a roof over your head uh, you're able to go and see friends and do these kind of things. It's not enough because yeah. no, we all want to be exceptional. But actually, no, like you say, being in the middle, being average is actually a wonderful place to yeah, be absolutely. and better often than being at the top, because that can be quite a neurotic place to be.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So so really, we've cracked it. We've done well. <laughs> Whoa, we're winning. All Yay. right.
0: Yay! High five us. <laughs> Hooray
2: us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, listen. You mentioned kids, and I know you've got to go and get yours or go and see them <laughs> at school. So, listen, Connie. I've so enjoyed chatting to you when we met the other Lovely week, and it's was. been a real joy again. And I really appreciate it because I know you don't do loads of podcasts. So well, I'm no, very you know grateful.
2: why? Because I often end up chatting about the stuff, and so, it ends up getting so worthy. It often, <laughs> and I'm like, I'm not. You know, it sounds so preachy worthy, but that's because podcasts are intelligent mediums often that want to sort yeah. of explore these things and. Blah, blah, blah. And I don't want to be that kildrew that I thought my parents were. <laughs> so, <laughs> do you feel
0: like this has been preachy?
2: Um, no, not really. I hope not. I don't know. Your listeners are the ones to judge. Because like I say, everyone's okay, got different, different benchmarks. <laughs> yeah. One person will think it's I... preachy. Another person will think it's a laugh. Another person will think it's just right. You know, So, and it's all to do with those benchmarks. And the secret is making sure that the spread isn't too great so that we can always all one relate to one another. Rather Absolutely. than sort of judge one another or be snobby or think, oh, they're not my type or whatever. Not everyone is going to be your type, but as long as you can relate a bit, that's enough.
0: Absolutely. Well said. And look, I think what you say about just not wanting more and more and more, I think it's a fantastic message.
2: What's well, a good way to spread happiness.
0: And just enough. Anyway, like you said, I think that's a, a lovely mantra to keep in mind. Right, Connie, I'll let you go. Thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure. Thank and uh, I hope to see you around again yes. soon. Yes.
2: Definitely likewise. Take care.
0: Thank you for listening to this conversation with Connie Huck. I hope you enjoyed it. And as always, I'd love to hear your thoughts. So message me via my website, simonmundy.com.